sovereign purpose, but we're just going to look at that specifically from the book of Ephesians. Now, I do need to say that how this blessed me is um, during COVID, I've had an opportunity to listen to lots and lots and lots of uh, sermons, and this is probably... Uh, ten sermons that I grab, grab notes from and to put it into one. So you're not getting the ten sermons. Well, actually, you are getting the ten sermons in one. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, is we're going to find a time period. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the time period of God's sovereign purpose. Then we're going to look at three different phases Then we're going to look at God's sovereign purpose as it's fulfilled in the future. So, God's sovereign purpose, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says this, And he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Verse 5, He predestined us, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to his kind intention of his will. When did his divine purpose come? It says, before the foundation of the world. He made this plan for us before the foundation of the world. It wasn't after Adam and Eve sinned and God goes, oh, that they messed it up. Now I need to come up with plan B. It was before the foundation of the world. He chose us. Now there's three different thoughts about how he chose us, and I'm not going to get into that because we could spend... 10 years debating that, and it would be lots of fun, but then each person has to make their own choice. But what the Holy Scripture says is before the foundation of the world, he chose us for a purpose, for his divine sovereign purpose. Now, when does that divine sovereign purpose Where does it lead to? Well, that's found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, where it says, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Some translation says, Through endless ages. His divine purposes started before the foundation of the world, and it will continue on to eternity. And what is that divine purpose in the book of that's given to us in the book of Ephesians? And again, that's in verse 5 of chapter 1. It says, He predestined us to adoption as sons. What is his divine purpose for us? that he did before the foundation of the world? Sons. For us to be sons. 
Now, we're going to look at that term sons. So that's where we're going to spend most of our time on is sons. But there's some things we need to look at before we look at sons. One end is that it says before him. What does that mean? That he wants sons, that he chose us to be adopted as sons before the foundation of the world, before him. What does that mean before him? We have an example of that in Leviticus chapter 24. In Leviticus chapter 24, it's instructions from Moses to Aaron about how to prepare worship in the temple, specifically about two items, and the two items are the golden lampstand and the bread. And so in verse 3 in Leviticus 24, it says this about the golden lampstand. Halfway through verse 3, it says this, Aaron shall keep it in order from evening to morning before the Lord continually. So before the Lord means right there. That he wants us as sons to be right in front of him. To be with him. For example, at After he created the world, Adam and Eve, how often did God come and visit Adam and Eve? It says in the cool of the evening. They were not before him continually. God came to visit them in the cool of the evening. But what God wanted, his, his sovereign purpose was to have sons continually before him. And then in verse 8 of Leviticus chapter 24, it says this about the bread or cakes. Every Sabbath day he shall set it in order before the Lord continually. It is an everlasting covenant to the sons of Israel. That this lampstand and these cakes are to be continually. 24 hours, what's the expression? 24, 7 All the time before the Lord. Now we know when we do typology that the lampstand is the light and that represents Jesus as the light of the world. And the bread it represents or is a type of Jesus as the bread of life. But what does God say about Jesus in John chapter 8 verse 29? And it says he sent, he who sent me, this is Jesus speaking, is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So what Jesus is saying about continually, we can make some assumptions, is that we are to be pleasing to him when we are in front of him continually. He wants sons. So we're going to look at three phases of that term, sons. The first phase, um, I would call it sons in status. Status means, what does a son mean? A son means full privilege. It means having, um, having everything the father has. It means we have a position as sons versus a position as servants. See, God's divine purpose, if he wanted somebody continually in front of him, he could have made fluffy animals or, according to my family, cute bunnies or pink 
elephants, I think one said, or servants, or planets, or universes. He has angels continually ministering to him, but that's not what he wants. What does he want continually before him? Sons. So what does that mean to be a son? Because once we are sons, we have all the inheritance. Ephesians, again, we're going to be looking through verses on and on and on throughout the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10 and 11 says, With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the time, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things upon the earth, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. We are sons in status, meaning we have all of what it means to be sons. Not only that, Whatever the inheritance Jesus gets, we get. Jesus' inheritance from the Father is our inheritance. We see that in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, where it says this, And because you are sons, God has set forth the spirit of his Son in your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Before we were sons, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But now we are sons, we are adopted, and we can cry, Abba, Father. So my sister has adopted um, several uh, children, and so they are my nieces and nephews. Before that Time when they went into the judge and the judge signed his name and put his stamp, they were just young babies. But once the judge put the stamp on it, they were sons. I had new nieces and nephews. Now, through adoption, they became sons. But there was a difference. My DNA is different than their DNA, but we're still sons. That's not what it means over here. Because what happens in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, it says that Jesus is in us. We are not only got the stamp of adoption in a bad way to explain it, God's very DNA now is in, in us. He has changed us to be Sons, full sons, sons in status. Galatians chapter 4, verse 7 says this Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Because we are adopted, because Jesus lives in us. We're sons with a promise. We get the full inheritance. God just doesn't want people in heaven. 
He could have anybody he wanted in heaven. But what is his purpose before the foundation of the world is that he wants sons with full sonship. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, to bring many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. He wants sons, but he wants sons who have the full inheritance, and he wants sons who have glory. We're going to look at that as well. What does it mean to have glory? So God wants sons to glory, to have the full status of sons, the full inheritance of sons, the full privileges of sons, the full standing of a son, because Jesus is in us. So the question is how? How do we become sons? And the simple answer is God, through his work, through his son, to death on the cross. Last time I was here, we talked about propitiation, reconciliation, and redemption. That's how. That's how we become sons. We believe. Just to let you know, theologians have come up with three different types of faith. We have the intellectual faith. We see that in the Bible where it says the demons believe and tremble. But they're not going to heaven. So we have an intellectual, we believe the faith, uh, people believe the facts, but that's not enough to become a son. There's some people who have an emotional reaction, belief. You see this a lot around um, Easter, where movies about the death and resurrection are on TV, and people have tears in their eyes as they see Jesus being whipped. They believe that there was a historical Jesus, and they believe that he was whipped, and they have an emotional reaction to that, but that does not lead to sonship. The third type of faith is a volitional type of belief, where it's we know the facts, but we believe it and we want it inside. I am a sinner I need Jesus to look after that for me. And when we say yes to Jesus and we believe, we become 100% sons through adoption at that very moment. It's not a gradual sonship where we're a little bit of a son and a little bit more of a son. No, 100%. At the moment we say yes, we become sons. One author has said this, at that very moment that we become, say yes to Jesus, 33 different things happen to us. Now this is, I like this because it's written in Old English, so let's see if we can, if I can read this correctly. They are wrought of God. They are wrought instantaneously. They are wrought simultaneously. They are grounded on the merit of Christ and being grounded on the merit of Christ eternal. It follows that each person of the human family at a given moment is either perfectly saved, being the recipient of every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, or perfectly lost, being without 
one of these spiritual blessings. When we become sons at that moment, we're just looking at sonship, but 33 other, okay, 32 other things happen to us at that moment, brought on by God. Those cannot change. That's one of the reasons why I believe in eternal security, meaning once saved, always saved. And we cannot lose it. So phase number one of God's sovereign purpose is to have sons. Sons in status. Having full inheritance. Full sonship. Full adoption. The second thing we see in the book of Ephesians is that we, the phase of sonship, is is that God wants, God's purpose is to have sons in glory. If he just wanted sons, the moment we said yes to Jesus, there would be no longer any reason for us to be on planet earth, and he'd go, up to heaven we go. But he wants to accomplish something in us while we are here on earth. And so phase two of being a sons is he wants sons who are mature. So sons in maturity. So maturity and wisdom to be like Jesus. We are no longer, once we become sons, you can call us baby sons. He no longer wants us to be baby sons. He wants us to grow up and to be mature. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Now, another verse, or another translation says this, as he showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. So how do we become mature? Is that God poured on, lavished on us, poured on us, Wisdom and knowledge through the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, it says this, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. Maturity comes by knowing him. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, it says this, Until we all obtain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What kind of maturity is that maturity? The yardstick, the measurement of that maturity is not famous Christians that we see that go, oh, I want to be like, I want to be like. No, the measuring stick for our maturity is Jesus. One of the questions we could ask is why maturity? Why become a mature Christian? And we find that answer in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. It says, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness of deceitful scheming. Verse 15, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. God wants us to be sons in maturity, 
to grow up so that we are not tricked by false doctrines out there. And in um, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says this, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. Our maturity is to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now the question is answered, How? Sons and maturity. First, we got sons and status. That's the first step. The second step is sons and maturity. And the question is how? How do we become sons in maturity? And in the book of Ephesians, we get the answer, which is one answer. There's many answers about how we, how we grow up. But one of the answers is in the book of Ephesians. And it's through Christ's work through his body. What's his body? The body is the church. It's us. So how do we grow up? It's us. In Ephesians 4, verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So the one tool for maturity is the church. It's you and I working together. We need each other to grow. And unfortunately now because of COVID, if we go, well, I just need me and Jesus and YouTube, that's all I need, well, we're shortchanging ourselves because we need each other. What I'd like to do is add two more tools that are not in the book of Ephesians. One I like because it's really cute. I think it's cute. And that is found, I call it Bible math. Bible math is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15, 14, 15, and 6. No, 15, 16, and 17. Bible math is this. In verse 16, it says, and since childhood. Verse 17, it says, all scripture. Verse 17, it says this, that the man of God. So let's do the math. The child of God plus the word of God equals the man of God. So in Ephesians, Paul stresses the body as the tool for maturity. In 1 Timothy, it's scripture as a tool. In the book of 1 John, it says we are given certain things once we are adopted. So there are six things in the book of 1 John, and they all have to do with this one phrase, born in him, or adopted in him. So I'm just going to quickly read through those six things that bring about maturity in 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, it says this, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practice righteousness is born of him. When we are sons in maturity, we do what is right. 1 John 3 verse 9 says this, No one who is born of God 
practices sin because his seeds abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. When we are sons and born of him, we won't continue to sin. Number three, 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. What's the third tool that happens to us when we are born of God or adopted or sons? We love the brotherhood. We love each other. Number four, 1 John 5 verse 1 says this, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. So when we are sons and born of God, we love and we believe everything about Jesus. Number five is 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. It says this, For whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And when we are sons adopted, we will overcome the world. And finally, tool number six in the book of 1 John it says this in verse Chapter 5, verse 18, it says this, We know that no one who is born of God sins. But he who, has, he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Wicked one can't touch you. When we are sons... God helps us to mature. Through, in the book of Ephesians, we see that through the work of the church. In other scriptures, it's through the study of his word. The third phase. We have sons in status. We have sons in maturity. And the third phase in the book of Ephesians... Now, we could probably come up with eight different phases if we looked at all the terms of sonship in all the Bible. We're just keeping it, trying to keep it to the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, the third phase of sonships is sons in ability, that we live for God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now comes the time period, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. God's purpose was to have sons before him in eternity past, and in eternity past, he chose us. He not only chose us, but he gave us a job description in eternity past that we should walk in them. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Then we skip down to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, it says this, Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And in verse 13 it says this, Therefore take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and and having done everything to stand firm. So what's this 
son's inability for is to resist the evil one. Our maturity is to grow and our ability is to stand firm and to resist the evil one. Now, in other books, we have more things that we can do with that ability, but in the book of Ephesians, it is to stand firm against the evil one, that we have victory. So how do we do that? Sons and status is because of the work God did through Jesus on the cross. Sons and maturity is what Jesus does in his work in the church. Sons and ability... It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5, verse 8 and 9, it says this, You who were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all God, goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 18 in chapter 5. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That is a promise. We want to look at that a little bit, because son's inability is able to resist, to stand firm, to say no to the schemes of the, of the devil. So what are those desires of the flesh or the lust of the flesh? Well, we can have a list a mile long, but some of them are anger and jealousy and sexual sins and fighting and idolatry and substance abuse. With sons who have ability because of the Holy Spirit working in us, we can stand firm against those. Notice that the verse says, won't fulfill that's very important that we need to get that. It says it won't, it won't, we won't fulfill. It doesn't say we won't have. Because lots of people get really messed up with that because they say, I have these thoughts. But that's not the, what the Bible says. It says it won't fulfill. And some, uh, one of the preachers I was listening says this, when we won't Fulfill, it says that our fantasies won't become fruit, that our desires won't become deeds, and that our attitudes won't become actions. See, we're not guilty for having the first look. A um, long time ago, I heard this explained to me like this. It says, every person has a first look. The first look is, whoa, that is a beautiful person. But there's a second look. Whoa, that is a beautiful person. Whoa, that's a beautiful person. Then there's the third look. It's taking that first look and going on and letting our imagination go down the road with them. In Romans 8, verse 13, it says this, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. 
But if by spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Somehow we need to put to death those deeds. God's God's made all of us to have a first look. The second and the third look, that's where we have to put it to death. So somewhere between our thoughts and our actions, we need to put that to death. I read an interesting book 15 years ago, written by this journalist, a feminist journalist, about how to have an affair. And because she was a journalist, she had 10,000 people write into her about how to have an affair. And so she took all of this information, and you know what she did? She boiled it down to say that, I have to go like this, there are six steps to having an affair. And she went through and showed those six steps over and over and over and over and over again. It says we are to put to death the deeds. So somewhere between our thoughts and our actions, we need to put to death. Now some people go, I need to put to death step number one. Because I can't go any further down down these steps. I need to put to death step number one. Some people go, that's just who I am. I have to put to death step number two, or step number three, or step number four. Step number five, I think you've gone too far. Because it just doesn't happen. Our thoughts and the deeds, there is a time period there that we have to make the choice to make put those to death. So in Ephesians, we see that sons in ability is to resist the devil, to put our thoughts to death. Not our thoughts, but our actions to death. To figure out which step belongs to me that's gone too far and to put that to death. So why the actions? Why does God allow all of this to happen? A simple answer is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. And my family knows this is one of my favorite verses. And it says, For these momentary light afflictions is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now, I do complain that... God's definition of momentary and my definition of momentary are totally different. And I do complain that God's definition of light affliction and my definition are totally different. And I need to go with his definition, not mine. But it says that it's producing an eternal weight of glory. And we're going to see what to do with that glory. Because when we are sons in status... And as sons, we become mature. And as sons, we have those abilities to withstand temptations and, and to say no and to put those things to death. 
It becomes a glory. And what do we do with that? So what's the results of being sons in status, sons in maturity, and sons in ability? Well, read with me in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. It says this. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us and his beloved. It's to help us understand God better. To understand about his grace. To understand about his mercy. Because I received grace. Because I received mercy. Because I received his love. Because I received his forgiveness. I know what that means. To help us understand. And one day, we saw that before the foundation of the world, he chose us to be sons in glory. So let's look at the end. In Revelation chapter 19. Or sorry. Yeah, Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. It says this. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride, that's us, has made herself ready. And it was given to her a clothe, to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So what's the results of our maturity and our ability? We get a wedding outfit. And then what happens? Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, it says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle is among tabernacle of God is among men and he shall dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be among them. And verse 7 of Revelation chapter 21 says this, He who overcomes shall inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. His eternal purpose was, I want sons in glory. He adopted us as sons and has given us full status as sons. Christ has helped us through the church in the book of Ephesians to be mature sons. The Holy Spirit has given us abilities to withstand the wicked one so that we may receive glory, which then is our wedding outfit for the marriage supper of the Lamb that we will present to Him. And the final thing is that He will be with us and we will be eternally with Him. His eternal purpose is, I want sons of glory continually before me. And we see one day in the book of Revelation, what does it say? He will create a new heaven and earth and he will come down and we will be continually before him as what? As sons.
So we see that the whole Trinity was at work in our help in regards to sonship. God, in adopting us because of the work of he did with Jesus on the cross. Jesus, his work in us to bring us to maturity through the church. The Holy Spirit in us to be able to withstand the fiery darts of the devil. To stand and to stand firm. So that we can be presented in glory and continually be in God's presence. So what does that mean for us? Well, there's two things. One is, elsewhere, Paul writes that we have a responsibility to say, you too can become a son of God. So then it's an evangelism statement that to, to gain all of that, the first step is to be adopted as sons. To believe that Jesus died and was raised for our sins. So that's the first step. And typically when in a church like this, the vast majority of people have already done that. So what's the invitation to us who've already, who are sons? Well, the last two phases that we talked about is one, sons in maturity and sons in ability to grow in maturity. To be the church that people want so that they can come and grow. And to use the abilities that God has, the Holy Spirit has given us to stand and to stand firm against the, um, the tricks of the devil so that he can present us holy. So let's pray. Father, once again, we are thankful that in eternity past that you chose us to be sons and that you have given us everything we need, one, to be sons, to grow as sons, to use our abilities that you have given us so that we may grow and have glory so that we may present those when we finally meet you at the marriage supper of the Lamb and that you come make a new heaven and a new earth and you come down and you dwell with us continually. So Father, we look forward to that day. Help us to be sons in maturity and sons in ability. And thank you for adopting us as sons. So bless us now as we continue on our day. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Michael. So I invite you to stand with us as we sing this last song. This talks about our faith in Christ and trusting in Him.
hatimu I'll say of the Lord You are my shield My strength My portion adopted us, made us sons, and Lord, our prayer is that we would continue to walk in that sonship as we grow more and more, that we would be attuned to the Holy Spirit and the leading and guiding. We pray that you just open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to your word as we read, and pray that you would continue to help us grow, and not again just for ourselves, but as we heard for those around us, for uh, the world about, just that we would bring glory to your name, oh God. So we just pray that we would continue to walk in that. You are good, you are faithful, you are true, and we thank you. Be blessed as we leave this place again. I just pray that you go before us, watch over us, walk beside us, just help us to just this rest of this day, just continue in your rest and your peace. Be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you go. Just a quick announcement. There is a couple of bags of lettuce in the fridge if you want some. Our garden is overgrown, so cut it off. So uh, take some lettuce if you need it. If you don't, don't worry about it. It's healthy, good for you.